Thank you for that song. I know it's not everybody in the world's favorite song, but it might be mine, and I love it. <laughs> and it chokes me up every time that I hear it. It chokes me up, I think, because I know those moments, and I'm guessing you do too, those moments when something breaks through. It's not all the time, and sometimes we go through long stretches where we can't feel it at all. But those moments can break through. The birds singing outside our windows, those moments of connection and wonder, looking out and realizing the sun has come up again and again, and I had nothing to do with it. This miracle. I know these moments that the writer sings about, and I think you do too. I know a lot of us experienced some of those moments last Sunday here in church. Listening to the choir and the orchestra, I heard one of the choir members describing the experience as feeling like they were levitating as they were singing right there in the middle of the music. Those moments when we get lost, when we are absorbed, swept up, whether it's music or beauty and wonder or deep connection, even through pain. These moments, they come in all different shapes and sizes for each of us. They come through music or quiet moments of meditation and connection. They come on that morning when you've slept with the window open and all of a sudden the birds are there at five waking you up. These moments can come when we're at a rally or a protest and we feel ourselves a part of one body moving for justice. They can come when we relax in the embrace of family or friends, when we look up at the stars or look out at the lake and know we didn't make it, and there it is again and again. These moments of awareness, they come in different shapes and sizes in different ways, but I think at the heart of them, they all share something in common, and I think it's connection. I think in those moments, whether we would say it or not, in those moments, we feel ourselves connected, a part of something bigger than just us. Maybe in that moment, we sense a stirring deep within us in a quiet place we haven't heard in a long time. Maybe we're truly seeing another person, hearing their story rather than our story of them. Maybe we're recognizing the beauty and the intricacy of the earth and knowing the gift of it. Whatever is happening for us in those moments of wonder, I think connection is at the heart of it. Connection with something bigger than just our individual worries and concerns and troubles. For me, these moments that I'm talking about, these moments that I think you know too, they are everyday sacraments. They are, the in, they are the visible sign of the invisible good or grace, the visible sign of an inward spiritual connection that is always there, always waiting to be noticed. This visible sign of an invisible good or grace, this visible sign of an inward spiritual connection, that's the definition of the term sacrament, the worship theme that we are living in this month. The song we heard this morning reminds us what these everyday sacraments can feel like. The story that Jason told, that connection, that everyday sacrament. I'll bet it was there for those two women in the bread, but I'll bet it was also there in the kneeling, in the eye-to-eye, in the genuine 
connection one to the other. And I know it is important for me to remember that these everyday sacraments, these moments of connection and wonder sometimes, they are available to us not just on the good days, but on the hard days as well. And in fact, we need them when times are difficult too. These moments are there for us not only when it is 70 degrees and sunny and it's the end of what has felt like a long winter and you almost can't help but smile, but they are there too when we find ourselves suffering and struggling when a walk through the valley of the shadow of death is closer at hand than a walk around the lake. The psychologist D.W. Winnicott once described those moments in which we are utterly helpless as the feeling of falling endlessly. When something that we have relied upon, be it our health or our partner or spouse, our parent or child, our job, fairness, what we thought were the rules of our country, when some structure that we have relied upon suddenly comes apart, when everything around us is spinning out of control, it can feel like we are falling endlessly, he said. I know that I've shared before from this pulpit that when my mom was ill and dying and I was making the trip often back and forth from New York down to Maryland to be with her and to care for her, my atheist ministerial colleague offered me a gem of advice that carried me through those days and nights when it felt like I was falling endlessly. Look for the grace, he said, and you know I don't believe it comes from God. But look for it, he said. Look for those unexpected gifts, those moments of connection you couldn't have seen coming. Look for the surprises, even the laughter. Look, he might as well have said. Look for the visible signs of the invisible goodness that I trust undergirds it all. Look for the everyday sacraments, he told us, told me. They will be there. They will save you. There in the middle of the night with my mother's pain and my inability to stop it or to change the outcome were my colleagues' words. Look for the grace. There when it felt like I was falling endlessly, there was something to hold on to, a foothold to jam my toes into and hold on. The moments of grace, the gifts, the visible signs of the invisible goodness that undergirds it all. They were there over and over again when I paid attention, and they were enough to interrupt that feeling of falling endlessly, to help me to trust and to hold on and be present when really I just wanted to run from all of it. It works not just in moments of illness and strain, but I can't help but think about our poet that we heard from this morning, Gwendolyn Brooks, the first African-American woman poet ever to win the Pulitzer Prize all the way back in 1950. Faced with the realities of institutional racism and sexism, faced with that daily drip of downkeepers and sunslappers and harmony hushers on her soul, she offered advice her speech to the young, her speech to the progress toward. She didn't tell them to look for some far-off hope some day when it would all be right. She said, live not for battles won. Live not for the end of the song. 
live in the along, right here, right now, paying attention. Live as if everything is holy now, whatever the holy, whatever the now might be. Now, I know this is not always the easiest thing to do. This is not an easy task. It feels easier sometimes to look away, to numb out, to follow the false gods, to let the busyness or the loneliness of our days overtake us and pull us away from seeing each other and ourselves and the world and all that really matters. It's not always easy to live in the along because sometimes the along is really, really hard to notice within that the moments, the feeling, the deep connection that maybe underneath it all we trust is there. And I think one of the many reasons I get choked up when I hear that song, Holy Now, it's not just because I know those moments of being connected, it's because I know the moments of feeling disconnected too. And I long to live in the holy now all of the time. I long to live there. And I don't do it very well unless I practice. The practice of paying attention, says the author Barbara Brown Taylor, the practice of paying attention is as simple as looking twice at people and things you might just as easily ignore. To see takes time, she says, like having a friend takes time. It is as simple as turning off the television to learn the song of a single bird. But why would anyone do such things, she says. I I can't imagine, unless one is weary of crossing days off the calendar with no sense of what makes the last day any different from the next. Unless one is weary of acting in what feels more like a television commercial than real life. The practice of paying attention, she says, It offers no quick fix for such weariness with guaranteed results printed on the side. Instead, it is one way into a different way of life, a life full of treasure for those who are willing to pay attention to exactly where they are. The practice of paying attention offers one way into a different way of life a life full of moments of beauty and wonder, a life where we live not just for the battles won or the end of the song, but a life where we live in the along. The practice of paying attention offers us one way in to a different way of living, a life that is full of awareness of the intricate and intimate interrelationship of all things, a life that is full of connection at the the roots of it. Now, making our way into this practice of paying attention, at least for me, it requires a great deal of discipline. It requires not just wandering off or checking my phone or, you know, getting distracted. It requires discipline. And I know that discipline is not a popular word for many of us and with good reason. But when I think of discipline, I think about it in the way that the Dalai Lama uses the word. He says, discipline is simply the protection of our own interests. Discipline is simply the protection of our own interests. I imagine what it would be like to live in a way that protects the interests of our spirit, of our soul, of our inner voice, of our wholeness and connection. How might we protect those interests? 
I have no doubt in my mind that it is in our own interest and in the interests of our neighbors and our planet for us to pay attention, to look twice at each other, to really hear one another's stories, to care for this earth, to learn the names of the birds. But doing that, paying attention in this fast-paced, distracting, pulling-away world, it requires practice and discipline. And for me, it requires starting again and again and again. The heart of spiritual practice is the willingness to be, to start over, to start and fail and start and start and start again. It's less about perfection than it is about repetition, really, and willingness. And I want this because the practice of paying attention, it offers us one way in to a different way of living, a way of living that I long for, and I think many of you do too. So let me tell you a little bit about how I'm doing this. A couple of weeks ago, I was incredibly lucky to get to attend a writing workshop with the poet Naomi Shihab Nye. She was in town to do a reading, and the next morning there was a couple of hours where she spoke with a lucky handful of us uh, and offered some prompts and some reflections. It was an absolutely transformative morning to get to spend that time with her. Now, you might remember her as the poet who wrote the story Justin shared a few weeks ago about the Albuquerque airport. Uh, She's got this incredible ability to hone in and remember the details that are then universal. So in this writing workshop, she offered us some reflections on the practice of writing, and she gave us some really hands-on suggestions, too. One of the exercises she asked us to try came from her fellow poet, William Stafford. She asked us to take some time every morning, just five or ten minutes, she said, to write. Let writing be the first conversation of the day. Before email, before a conversation with a grumpy housemate, before anything, the newspaper. Let writing be the first conversation of the day. And in particular, she said, write down the date, write down exactly where you are, and look back over the past 24 hours and write down the details of what you remember. What happened? What did you experience? What did you notice? What are the phrases that are still caught in your mind? What do you want to remember? What can you not afford to forget? Write it down. She called this a process of collecting. Collecting of experiences, of memories, of details. Write it down. So I've taken this on as one tangible, specific, really practical thing I can do. And I can't seem to get to it every day. It depends on if somebody wakes up crying before I get to that first conversation or not. But I'm doing my best to sit down, to be intentional about my first conversation of the day and about the remembering and the collecting of those moments. It's been changing the way that I walk in the world and the way that I think, too. One example. A couple of weeks ago over spring break, I took a walk like I often do with a dear friend. We found ourselves meandering down the side streets of this small farm village, down roads and paths that she knew well, but I had never traveled. We took a shortcut, and she led me through a cemetery that seemed way out of place. 
There was no church or institution nearby, just this small cemetery in what felt like the middle of nowhere. We passed through it, and as we did, I noticed a garbage can off to the side. It was overflowing, like mounded up. And they had tried to hide it, you know, with like three nice white wooden walls, but there was the garbage overflowing right there in the cemetery. And I went over to take a look. And there in this mound were these plastic chipped angels, these cherubs that maybe had a broken off toe or a little hole in the side. There were old flowers, there were the fake ones and the real ones that had all been out in the weather for a long, long time. And I looked at what was in the garbage, honestly, and I looked at what was in the cemetery and I couldn't tell why some was in the garbage and one was, some was still there. Some, it looked almost identical in some ways. And there, right on the top of this whole pile, there was a little stone with, you know, a wire sticking out of it and a butterfly on the top, and it was bouncing back and forth. And then on the stone, it said, world's best mother. And it was right in the garbage. And I've been thinking about this ever since. Who are these people? Who cleaned up the cemetery? And what is that like? Why did they choose what they did and leave behind other things? Who left that little stone with the butterfly? Did the person spend a long time picking it out in the store? Or was it a grab and go on the way to a gravesite that the person rarely visited? Who are these people? What are their lives like? How did they make these choices? This little image. All of a sudden, it expanded out beyond just me wandering through that cemetery to think of others and others in my imagination, maybe in their real lives. Stopping to take it in, really because I wanted to do my assignment well, to remember all of the details. It changed me, it's working on me, so that more often than not, I look twice instead of once. I try to take it in and wonder, who are those other people? What are their lives like? What is it like? So what I want to invite you into, if you want to, is this practice of paying attention. The practice of paying attention that invites us into a different way of living. A way of living that helps us to see those visible signs of invisible spiritual connection. How might you do that? You can pick up the practice that I've tried. I'm sure you have others. How might you engage in this practice of paying attention? And how will it hold you when you feel like you are falling endlessly? And how will it make your soul sing in those days that are brighter? This practice of paying attention. Try it, if you wish, in any way that works for you. And tell me about it, if you want to. I'd love to hear your stories your noticings, your wonderings. May it be so. Amen.